0: Cuntcast podcast is rated not safe for work. Urban Dictionary describes it as internet content generally inappropriate for the typical workplace, i.e. would not be acceptable in the presence of your boss and colleagues. All of these definitions apply. As a result, we will provide you with 15 seconds of pleasant, non-offensive music for you to advance to the next program acquire headphones, or lock all available doors and windows for a proper sensual cunt cast experience. Please be safe out there and enjoy the program.
1: Evening, fellow sexual subjects. You are listening to a broadcast of the Cuntcast podcast, a conversation with a classily characterized cunt, carefully crafted with cognizant courage to champion conscientious consummation. I'm your host, Najaleree, and I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Mister Aaron Rand Freeman. How do you do?
2: I am alive. Um, <laughs> this is the Uh, This is the first program uh, in about a month or so, if not that, if that late. Um, Yeah, we've been on um, sort of an unforced hiatus. That's a stuff.
1: I've been going through some shit, people. Um, I think everybody is.
2: Right. (laughs) Which is one of the reasons why no one's running me down. Like, you know, in in the golden age when people could, you know, go outside and stuff, um, you know, every so often people would be like, hey, man. Let me get some new episodes of a variety of podcasts on your podcast network. And I'm like, cool, I got you. And then I would hit somebody up. I was like, all right, we got to record. But uh, now nobody says nothing. Everybody is being very kind to everybody else. So when something is wrong, everyone just assumes that people who are not appearing are just, like, needing a break. And there just is never any problem with that.
1: And I I want to thank uh, all the listeners who were very kind. I I lost my furry buddy and everybody was super sweet about it and uh, shared their memories uh, to my beautiful kitty Logan who crossed the rainbow bridge. So uh, now my cat is dead as uh, dead and dormant as my pussy.
2: There's no response yeah. to that for the reason right <laughs> you'll find just as in the in the grand scheme of co-host responses, there is nothing in the book <laughs> for that statement so yeah i was me-
1: i was um I was like peak sad boy, and then I couldn't listen to my like go to sad boy music um, for some unfortunate reasons, but you know people people really uh people came through and made me feel pretty good. I didn't know through all my um, shit posting about my cat that so many people felt attached to him. So it made me feel good that he touched so many lives. <sighs> and that, that is uh, peak 2020 where I get on my sex podcast and talk about my cat. <laughs> because I don't know about you, but most of us really aren't banging uh, as much as we used to because it could kill us and not like in the 80s where it was like you know gritty and glorious it's uh it's like just like sad and um full of the fear of respiratory failure it's really hard to be sexy when you're thinking about respiratory
0: failure right huh. and oh. frankly you're
2: not you're not under <laughs> You're not under the gun. That's my favorite part about we're so sex positive that if you're turned off, it's fine.
0: Yeah. We're, that,
2: we're that sex positive that you don't, have to, you, you don't have to engage in any sexual practice at all.
1: And um, that's kind of where I'm at because uh, <laughs> I am not about to try to go and get a Tinder date in the middle of a global pandemic.
2: Well, you shouldn't know
1: though I'm seeing a lot of this um like people expecting you to be extra horny
2: um and I
1: feel like this is like the least horny time ever
2: I find you know what I find is is everyone is um how do I put it they know what they like um there is there and for when the when the pandemic first hit there was a lot of hmm, sure why not Um, now there isn't. But I think when people are turned on, when people are given the green light, when they do see the thing that they like, they absolutely positively hit the ceiling. But until that moment, then it seems like they have no sex drive at all because of fatigue. So we're all so tired that we have a very, 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 very clear idea of exactly what would turn us on at any moment. And we want that and only that. And it's not, it's just fatigue. It's just when you're that tired... You actually have a very clear idea of wants and preferences when you're that tired.
1: You but just, you... I also kind of feel like we're we're back almost to like Byronic days of of longing. Like somebody that I would usually like send pretty raunchy sex to. Um now we're just like, I really hope in the coming years I get to touch you. Right. Like, and I, I was looking at my phone. I was like, "Did I just really send that? That is like, like that. I should be like putting an apple under my underarm and like sending it to him because I can't show my ankles. Like that's some weird 1802 bullshit." I have, <laughs> just like, I would like to touch you one day.
2: <laughs> I have, I have. Listen, I'll say this. I maintain this. If someone says that, that's a really good sign. Like I've had to tell some of my guy friends, that well was some of my friends that, that if someone expresses some desire to um, touch you, but like a year from now, it's actually pretty good. That That's a big compliment. Like some like people say it, like when you, you hear it and you feel weird and you say it and you feel weird. But if you hear it, it's a very good sign that someone's like after the world returns, after the end times when the dinosaurs are no longer and humans emerge from from the waters again or whatever i'd like to touch your butt
1: that's pretty goddamn cool it wasn't even the butt like i just want to touch you like i and i i said like i'm so i'm like very touch starved and i hope like the the first person that i get to touch when this is all over is you
2: right that's really, that's a really beautiful sentiment. There's nothing wrong with that at all. That's a really beautiful sentiment. But it's like
1: also it. super like, sad that that is where, that's where we're at. I mean, and the thing about like, it. do I used to send this guy like really gross texts. Right. <laughs> like, I, I used to send things like, I want you to fuck me so hard and degrade me so badly that after you're done, when I look in the mirror, my reflection turns away. Like, I wanted depravity. And now I'm just like, I would like to touch you. Like, can we just bonk fingertips? Right. <laughs> and not fear for our very lives. right?
2: There you go. Like I said, that's what I mean. Is what we want is very, very clear. That's what I mean. You're so tired that you've now, that you've now done away with, with the slapping and the whatever, and the throat fucking, whatever it is you guys did. Um, and you've now pared it down to just holding each other's hands. Because you're like, you that tired. It went from
1: spinning in my mouth to like, I I hope one day we could h- walk holding hands, right out in in the outside world, like in the before times, before right. the sickness came, right.
2: Um, we have we have an opportunity to communicate a lot of wants on a lot of levels because we've all been we, um, like I said, there's a whole there's a whole generation there's a whole like chunk of us. That we'll be able to communicate honest desires because a lot of the fucks and a lot of the pretense that governed how we lived our lives has been kind of burned away. So there are a lot of us that demand stupid sexual shit when really we just want a hug. And the ability, and I, I
1: feel like, hmm? so many more people get that now. Right. Like, like absolutely, we are literally just a nation of the touch starved we just like it's not even um we want to get off like we we crave an intimacy that used to be so frivolous to us and so base and so uh, we just took it for granted and now i'm just like i would it's not even sexual anymore like i would kill to just give my friends a hug
2: Right. right
1: Like, uh, I I got to go to New Mexico. Um, Don't recommend traveling right now, by the way. Very uncomfortable. Also, American Airlines is terrorism. Uh, But I I got to visit my brother in New Mexico. um, And I got, like, I hugged him. And it felt, like, amazing. But then I was like, oh, no. He's, like, an essential worker. And I was, like, calculating, like, did I, like... I hope he's cool so then I'll be cool cuz like he has good lungs. I do not. Like he gets covid, he could like survive. I will not. It was it's was, it was the weirdest thing to hug your sibling and then calculate your survival rate. Mhm. And I hope when like hopefully in 30 40 years when they're telling the stories that somebody remembers that feeling. So we don't all feel like we went crazy. <sighs> Speaking of people going crazy. So um, uh, let's uh, dip our toes into uh, the zeitgeist of the era. Um, the, the sexual topic of the era right now would definitely be WAP. <laughs> Are you familiar with it?
2: I've um I've grown familiar with the concept because the internet burst into flames over it. Um,
1: <laughs> I thought you were just gonna say, Yeah, I dabble in some wet ass
0: pussy.
2: I've I've I'm familiar <laughs> with the I'm familiar with the concept. I've um it's funny. It actually took me two weeks to hear the song. I caught all the memes and all the reaction, didn't listen to the song um for two weeks. Um, just for no reason. Like I you know typically Typically, whenever you look online and you see a bunch of black dudes and black dudes and white folks gnashing their teeth over something black women are doing, it's usually, it aside from the fact that it isn't worth all the anger, it usually isn't something very polarizing.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's very, it was weird for me to write out this discourse because like, obviously my social media is, it's very saturated with sex workers So the way I kind of approached it was feeling kind of good that there is this mainstream song that is made by a former sex worker and features current sex workers and um, you have all these civvies defending it. Um, So that felt kind of good. But then I'm like, like, I know they're defending this song and they're, like, saying don't shame sex workers, but I feel like this support wasn't about sex workers. It wasn't about us. It was adjacent to us, but not really about us. It was more so about um, the aspirational whore that civvies love to defend, because that's their, um, like, their whore sauna that they get to slip into when they want to zhuzh it up in bed. Um, Which sure um that's cool but i believe that aspirational whore only exists because they completely disregard what sex workers actually are saying about our experiences and only um filtering in stuff they want to hear um so they like um a lot of the the the, the facade of a very well put together um very empowering sex worker. Um, but they don't give a shit about actual sex workers. Right. Yeah. They love everything but the stigma and the struggle. (laughs) So, um, that it was frustrating, but also I guess kind of nice, but like, um, I'm again, hardwired for sadness. So I couldn't help but feel like, um, it was um, a way for the the civvies to have a whole lot of fun, while completely disregarding what sex workers have to say. Hmm. But I also was happy that like I saw so many sex workers that did feel good about the song, um, so I was like, yeah, okay. I actually did hear it as soon as it dropped, just because um, like I've been getting back into like fiction writing. So when I do fiction writing, I usually just have music on in the background. Mm -hmm. So I was listening to a bunch of Cupcake, Cardi B, and Megan Thee Stallion. So the YouTube algorithm just, like, served me the new song. And I'm like, aha, I enjoy this quite a bit. Um, And then everybody was super, (laughs) super mad about it. (laughs) Which, for me, I'm like, I've been listening to Cupcake since, like, 2016. She has a song where she literally says... Your dick is smaller than my pinky toe, and I would rather ride Squidward's nose. Like, the dude from Spongebob.
2: That's pretty funny, actually.
1: It is hilarious, and I love it, but I kind of feel like in a post, like, Little Kim cupcake, like, I don't even feel like, like, Megan the Stallion has said more horny things. In her other songs like she has a whole song about really liking a bent dick dude which shout out to them just <laughs> like yeah it's been too long that we haven't been celebrating the 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 good angled gentleman. but <laughs> i just i was just like why is this song the one that everybody decided was like too much
2: um everyone everyone got turned on, um while they were home trying not to do a thing. Chief reason why, um men the 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 dudes, the, the the chief reason why they get mad is when you give them it's always been like this. When you give them an erection out of turn. Um when you give them an erection when they don't think they should have one, they get very, very angry with whoever gave them an erection. It's the chief reason why, um Men have issues with Lizzo, for example. Liz, Lizzo is objectively gorgeous, but because she's fat, it's pretty girl, right? Gorgeous, but she's not. But she's fat, so as a result, a fat girl isn't supposed to give you an erection, except when they do, and then when you do, obviously, it's the fat girl's problem.
1: And, oh yes, that is definitely my lot in life. I am quite familiar.
2: <laughs> right, and so it's the same premise here. Is it quarantine pandemic? or were we, were, we were not prepared, a lot of dudes are home, they're horny, can't get dates, can't go out, and all of a sudden Cardi B and Meg The Stallion come out talking about how much they want to fuck, and it caught a lot of people off guard, and they're just fussing. Men fuss over their erections, this just as a rule. We yeah. fuss over our erection.
1: Though I think it's very, it, it was a little funny to me, cause I remember only, like, a year or so ago, people were like, oh, enthusiastic consent. How can you be sexy? And I'm like, that is enthusiastic consent. <laughs> like, when you're telling the dude to swipe his nose down your pum like a goddamn credit card, you are enthusiastic about that. Right. <laughs> like, so, it would that weird. Like, I felt like we already had this whole conversation. And men were like, "Oh, well, I wish women would talk about how much they want it. Mm. And then these two women come out with a song about how much they want it. (laughs) And it's not like, it's not like presented mostly as like a power fantasy. Like, it's kind of just like, here are my desires and wants and expectations. And I'm empowered to ask for these things because, I, like, I have a pretty good, like, I don't want to call it vaginal hubris, because hubris implies that, like, you're overshooting it, but, like, they're very confident in their vaginas. I think that's cool. And isn't that what we wanted not a mere months or years ago? So why... Why are the Ben Shapirs of the world, the Russell Brands of the world, the fucking CeeLo's who should really not be commenting on this? Uh, why are they Why are they so up in arms? Like uh, I don't
2: I have said an adult male suicide guy it has the decision-making um, of a toddler, and it's not an insult as much as accurate. Um, I'm I, I, A friend told me about her daughter once. It's the greatest story about a toddler I've ever heard. Where her daughter doesn't like pancakes, didn't want pancakes, right? She gave her pancakes and she was crying. So then at lunchtime, she asked her what she wants. She says, I want a quesadilla. She gives her daughter a quesadilla. But the quesadilla, on first glance, looks so much like a pancake that the little girl thinks that her mom is trying to fuck with her. And as a result, refuses all food because her mom was playing the dirtiest trick. She said, I don't want pancakes. It looks like not a pancake, but looks like a pancake. And that type of decision making, that type of processing, it leads, it, it's so much, it's so much of the adult male that it just like, I don't know any other way to put it. We want a thing until we don't want a thing, but we don't want the thing but we do actually want the thing, except when we get it, because then we didn't want it. You understand what I'm saying? You don't. That's the point. There's no reason (laughs) why, I hate to to say this, grown men's opinions have no value, especially of things they want, because masculinity makes us, it literally twists us around to the point where we're out of sorts. We're out of commission. We don't work. Our opinions don't work our ability to process why and when and who and what we want is shot until we start picking apart masculinity it renders us incapable of offering an opinion on any in any form of public discourse involving anything that we might like because we don't know it's as simple as that it's such a clear definition of it that it We've had, and it, just in the grand scheme, we've had since the beginning of 2020, we've had black women do literally everything and had dudes complain about every single thing that they're doing.
1: Yeah. And, it, and like, speaking of wow, like it was, it was, it like hurt because I was very sad to hear that Megan Stallion got. Shot yes by Tori Lane yes and people are bitching at her because like oh well you're a snitch because you told like he shot her also he like, did, also what she... do you expect from Black women right she... but
2: the, that's the thing if she didn't tell because he's not under arrest he she she said he did but in the moment she protected him so the fact that he's not in jail I means she's not a snitch she just said he did which is if she's not trying to send him to jail it don't fucking matter. And, it that's just the, and that's and that really
1: reminds me that like th- there is no winning for us. Right, that's the thing
2: and that's because and that's because our opinions on what are happening have no value. They are no merit. There's no logic, there's no logic formed in the beginning to then follow to a logical conclusion. We don't like anything and won't say it out loud. Yeah, right. We won't say
1: anything. It was also really weird because you have a lot of people who do not usually talk or um, say anything about sex workers feeling like this was their end to the discourse. Right. It was frustrating because, as a sex worker, we are already fighting so many. Uh, different fronts, like we're trying to get decriminalization, we're trying to um, get labor rights, and um, currently one of the biggest proponents to bills that really damaged us just got nominated to be vice president of the freaking United States, and we are constantly being silenced about how much that hurts. So um, to hear a whole bunch of people saying that this is uh, the whore agenda taking over, (laughs) um, (laughs) like I don't, it's it's hard to even form the words to say how upsetting that is. And uh, Uh, furthermore, it's like, okay, they can release this video, which everybody is really overreacting and um, saying it's so raunchy, but they could do that on a platform YouTube, which routinely de-platforms sex workers and demonetizes sex workers, they can do that because um, it's Warner Brothers music, a big conglomerate that is making money off it. (laughs) If Cardi B, the stripper, wanted to put this song out on her like private YouTube account, that is not owned and managed by Warner Brothers Music, there's no way in hell it would still be there. (laughs) Like, um, even artists that are more independent, like Cupcake, uh, she had a video for her remix of Old Town Road that got, like, obliterated. Can't find that on YouTube anymore. Um, And even, like, in... When the song first dropped, you had Cardi B, um, Hana, and uh, one of the other um, women that are featured in the video. Uh, her name starts with A. I can't remember, but they—they they all like were promoting their OnlyFans, and Sukihana is the only one who is a current sex worker who is posting, you know, uh, adult content on her. OnlyFans. And you could see how she was treated versus how Cardi B who, you know, is very open about, yes, I was a sex worker. But she plainly said, if you want access to my business, I'll put it on OnlyFans but it's not going to be adult content. And then you had um, this other young lady who I am told is a rapper but I've never heard her music but is like very pretty and does the Instagram. Um, she made like a hundred thousand dollars on OnlyFans, reposting the same stuff that she posts on her Instagram. <laughs> and uh, you had people comparing her versus Suki Hana, who they're saying is so dirty and has too many children, and <laughs> oh, it's so bad. And but like they're fine with this other person on a platform that got where it is from sex workers, but now suddenly actual sex workers aren't good enough for that platform anymore. Uh, so on uh, the same like week that we found out that the architect of FOSTA SESTA is going to be in the running to be our vice president. And the fact that we all have to vote for her or else fascism, uh, we also had to contend with, um, W- knowing that the end for us on OnlyFans is it's like the writing's on the wall <laughs> whenever a platform gets on and gets marketable like our time on it is numbered hmm. and OnlyFans as much as I'm not super into it because that's just not where I excel uh, when it comes to sex work um, it has kind of been a lifeline for a lot of people, especially because you can't really do in- person work right now. and we we're watching that be taken away from us. We're watching um, the establishment that laughs at decriminalization be given even more power and the potential to to be president and y'all are mad about a fucking song <laughs> and somehow it's our fault that you're mad about this song. Right. Like I said. And like I could get like ashy dudes and house. Like I'm used to that. That's like their thing. But like like I don't care about like the Ben Shapiro's and the misogynists, but when like the like lefty woke brigade are trying to use all like the conscious language to rebrand misogyny, hmm. and then um, play in my face like I'm too like I I'm just not evolved enough to see that me talking about sex is really me just trying to uh, be feminist by using the mail or chat, but just like, shut the fuck up. (laughs) Like, shut the fuck up, Russell Brand. (laughs) And (laughs) it's like, I'm just so frustrated. (laughs) And like, I don't even want to begin dealing with those lefty woke bros who are trying to tell me how to feminism because I also have to deal with, uh, Like the anti uh, rad femmes who think I'm a traitor, and you're really going off over like a fucking song. (laughs) It just seems so goddamn ridiculous to me, especially because this song is not that dirty.
2: No, it's a a song about enthusiastic consent, guys.
1: Yes, it's It's really,
2: it really is. It's just uh, 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 Cardi B and meg the stallion are ready to go that's the that's the that's the cliff notes version of the song if they like you then they're ready to
1: go my my uh vagina is quite lubricated because i'm aroused and i would like to do something about that are you game i'm game and people are like fucking whores and it's
0: like
2: (laughs) we don't like that type of stuff at least at least the guys don't. Um, even, like I said, the fake woke lefty people still intellectualizing their out-of-turn erections. Still.
1: Yeah. And I kind of feel like, where was the smoke when, like, the worst song ever was put out? Oh, what's and by that, I mean, Hey There, Delilah by The Plain White Tees. The fucking worst song. I will. I will go to my grave on this hill. It is... Just, first of all, it's super basic and it's an earworm and I hate it for that. But then also um, the guy who wrote it met this girl at like a party, like once, um, found out that she was in a relationship, wrote the song and delivered it to her like parents' house because he didn't know where she lived, I think. Um, and then that woman who is an Olympic athlete at that time was asked not about um, representing her country, um, being the first person to represent uh, America in that sport, but they asked, is she excited because this creepy dude who met her at a party once wrote a song about her and got nominated for a Grammy. And they, they literally put microphones in her face and told her, what are you more excited about? This song that's about you, or winning a gold medal at the Olympics—something you've been training your entire life to do—fuck that song. Hey there, Delilah, should be illegal. You're right.
2: You're absolutely. <laughs> Fuck that song. I was looking to play it, but when you said it was an earworm, was a hard, hard no. I'm not here to give anybody. I mean, any. I
1: just mentioning it we're all humming the stupid song and it's whiny. I just, I hate that song so much. The worst part is like when I first heard the song, I just hated it because I thought it was bad. And then I found out the backstory to it and I'm like, Oh, that's so gross. Like this, this foppish piece of shit made a terrible song and totally got to erase the narrative of this young woman's life for several years to the point where she's like, I don't even want to talk about it anymore. And that smug son of a bitch is like, I still think, you know, that maybe she plays it and thinks about me. Like, no, dude. She never wanted you. You created this whole world for you and this stranger and decided... Oh, yes. I Like, this is what true love is about. Like, no, you had half a conversation with this bitch, you weirdo. You absolute bellend. Like, ugh, disgusting. I would rather have every song on the radio be about just, like, 10-pound, sopping, wet, moose-knuckle-ass vaginas than... One more song that is as exploitative as Hey There Delilah by the Plain White Tees. I'm sorry, I've been holding this in for like 10 years.
2: The thing about it is, is I, I'm <laughs> contemplating ending the show. Like, where do we go? Like you're just saying is like, you didn't just like, you ever seen Aquitaine Hunger Us where they throw something to the ground and it explodes? Like you didn't just drop the mic, but you dropped the mic and it inexplicably exploded. So now there's no microphone. And we're just kind of left here standing awkwardly because you've made this incredibly sand- no no, 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 no. The problem is is sometimes and I say this all the time, sometimes a joke is so good an exchange is so sharp <laughs> that they should edit they should sh- they- we should wake up the next morning, like an exchange like we go back and forth, and then the exchange is so snappy and funny that we can no longer we should no longer converse for the rest of the day and start yeah, over. This
1: is- like not a bit that I've been like working through This is just like I really fucking Listen, it. <laughs> And it's so
2: valid It's such a valid observation About what we get mad at Versus what we don't get mad at Which is what is really genuinely problematic And really genuinely irritating Versus what we gnash our teeth over It's not wrong It's a hundred percent A salient point But as a result I'm just like Well I might as well just close my laptop <laughs> Like it's just we You've, you've... And
1: I know there's going to be like, people are going to write me a, a sassy tweet or send me a Facebook message like, can you really have this much heat for, hey there, Delilah, when you like the terrible music of Panic and the Disco? You know what? I have apologized several times for my unfortunate love of Panic at the Disco, and I understand that is problematic.
2: Um, The thing about I it I will
1: give you that.
2: Mm. The problem is, is there's no problem with you liking a thing if you know it's problematic. You've never once said that there is some moral value to Panic at the Disco. You have said from the moment that you've mentioned Panic at the Disco on the show, the very first time you said this is utter trash and I like it. Fine. We all like.
1: I I like. It's literally always an apology. I like professional wrestling.
2: (laughs) Under no circumstances am I going to turn around and say professional wrestling as an institution, as I've liked it for thirty years of my life, has some moral value. It's been hot garbage for decades and decades. Um, I'm never going to. And as a result, you can't be like, Aaron, you like wrestling? No, I do. It's garbage. The people you argue with are the people who are like, no, there's some deeper inner meaning. No, wrestling is athletic, is athletic stunt work and LARPing. That's it. It's cool. They finally yeah. stopped putting the women covering the women in oil and having them wrestle each other for weird putter butterfly purple belts. Great. They just stopped doing that like five years ago. <laughs> so yes, I. Sometimes the thing you like, is just terrible. And the key, understanding that it is terrible does not mean you should not like it. It just means that it is terrible. And you're not going to argue any type of... You're not going to use it to, like, form, form some moral platform with which to preach to other people. It's terrible. You like panic at the disco. That's fine.
1: Is it? <laughs> it's fine. But I just feel like, like, going off of that, there are people who are, like, really expounding on what like... Like, like it is c- cement discourse. And I just feel like, can it just be a fun song about wanting to orgasm? Like, can't we just have a fun song about wanting to orgasm? Well, <laughs> it just.
2: <laughs> well, and that's another thing that's happening because we're having so many problems that are bigger than the average citizen to such a degree. That we have a lot of people dedicating a lot of time and thought to something that is just without, it just isn't that serious. We can no longer locate what is not serious because the things that are so serious are so over our heads and so problematic that it actually is so big that we almost punch down as a form of um, self-care, like relief. And so that people have these incredibly long dissertations about a song about two women that want to fuck. They're ready to go.
1: Um, I yeah. I will admit, I at one point had a 2,500-word think piece ready to go about this song. I was I was going to be part of the problem. Uh, but I just kind of, like, let's just... We can just enjoy things oh. for once. Just let people enjoy things.
2: No, we, we can't now because we cannot...
1: Uh, I also, it was know? very... Um, so I played the video for my mom because sure um, I'm chaotic. You haven't noticed, but I remember I was telling her about it, and she was like really for the song when I was describing how people were angry about it because it's these two lady rappers and they're being very upfront about their sexuality and really demanding pleasure, and she's like, "No, that's what we should have." I want to hear it. I want to see it. And she was like, oh, girl power. Um, and then I played it for her and she was appalled. Now, did I find her um, that rejection a bit performative because I felt like this is what she thinks should happen? But also, uh, you know, Cardi B does say she wants a dick to tickle her uvula, and maybe that's a little bit too much for my mom. (laughs) Um, Admittedly, so that's
2: a general statement about that's like that's the proper review of the song on Amazon. It's like I think that this song might be a little bit too much for my mother. That's just a general statement.
1: (laughs) Yeah, apparently she just thought it would be more allegorically horny. It was like, no, there's Mm. there's really horny, and there's. Mm. They're just thinking about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm not going to say, like, my mom did a bad feminism by not liking the song because it is not her style. She does. She recoils at, like, any cuss word in uh, any form of media.
2: Um, it, it, generational <laughs> context is key. Um, yeah. We're not going to expect. I'm, I'm just not expecting um, uh, radical feminism I mean 2020 radical feminism out of a 50 year old Jamaican woman you know what I mean like it's just not a fair thing to expect the con like like all of a sudden we're just gonna so hey, it's the fine. one
1: thing she was about was Normani's part at the end she's like I like that outfit <laughs> <laughs> she's like more of that girl I liked her I'm like she didn't say anything but she was pretty and I'm like okay. oh mom right <laughs> I just I mean I kind of feel like if you if it's your bag enjoy it if it's not your bag um it doesn't have to be but also like let people enjoy things maybe because everything is terrible
2: well that's why that's why every that's why people are um losing their shit because everything is terrible we can't there's nothing imagine everything around us that we would like to fix we have no control over which is why we dive bomb things that we can at least punch something that gives us the freedom to have discourse on. We punch straight down so that we can just use some of these brain cells that we can't use in dealing with the plague or the administration, or as we just kind of, twiddle our thumbs and don't hope not to die until election day yeah you know and
1: i feel like some of it is just misdirected hostility at our own powerlessness yeah it's kind of like um the cuties controversy over at netflix where um a singly singly's french woman directed this movie it premiered at sundance to so much accolades um, and then Netflix decided to call it a twerk story and put a very, like, it, it's not sexy because it's a month of like 11 year olds, but a lot of people felt very uncomfortable with how Netflix was trying to promote this movie so much so that they're like, we want this movie banned. But it's like, you haven't seen it. <laughs> You've never seen this movie. You don't like the marketing of it. But you feel like you have to do something because you're offended. But you're not actually addressing what has offended you. But you're punching at something because that's, I guess, what you feel you're empowered to do. Yeah.
2: We have spent the entire year, we've spent the entire pandemic punching at things that we feel like we can actually bruise. It's just something that we've been doing. It's the same reason why we are, um, why we've, um, we, you know, everyone spent their time trying to tear apart The Last of Us. You know what I mean? That's it's, a,
1: it was fine.
2: It was fine. Most games are fine. But
1: like, do you, do I want? Do I think it should be compared to Schindler's List? No. No. <laughs> no. I don't think that makes me anti-video game as no. art. I think it is. It's it's not it's valid not. art. I think it has some growing up to do. Um, Usually, tonal wise, like if you're gonna make art that is supposed to, um, it kind of feels like they want to be the video game equivalent of uh, the book on Killing, right. uh, which is a super good book. Um, the author's name is escaping me but it's about the psychology of being trained to kill and being in war and um if if uh, you ever want to write about stuff like that i cannot recommend it enough um but if you want to be the video game equivalent of that then maybe your gameplay can't make killing a bunch of people super fun and the thing
2: and and i say this all the time is for the most part if your game is going to be art then it can't be it can't be a video game flavored video game um it can't be both your video game cannot be video game and then a film about something important at the same time you have to askew the video gameness but what i mean video gameness is by the basic rhythms of a video game can't they have to be askewed and you have to be you have to now give thought to every single step that you take last of us is an aside you do a lot of murdering for a game about the ills of murdering Full stop yeah. and it's like I and, said you have to skew the video gameness of the video game if that game that game would have to have 150 percent less murder for us to talk about also you have to be able to let people go <laughs> you'd have to be able to let people go you'd have to deal with that and you'd have less people to attack less people to kill less ways to kill them and the option of not killing them
1: yeah right. you can't really have a game about how your choices um, can destroy you if you can't actually make choices in your narrative. Right.
2: Like I said, and, and like I said, if you're not trying to be a film, as a, as a game, Last of Us 2 is great. As a film, it is terrible because taken in from beginning to end, it literally turns, it literally ignores its own point within about maybe an hour.
1: Because <laughs> I feel like people who watched others play the game got more out of it and more to the intent of what the development team wanted than the people who are actually playing it because right. the people who are playing it were like I'm having a lot of fun killing these people snapping this dog's neck and it doesn't really register like right. if I shoot somebody and then somebody goes oh no Billy Bob like you don't give a shit <laughs> right you're just like ha boom headshot your dad Lol like right. it's a video game do I I think like I always feel like every story has like its true medium Uh, or stories can be best told through certain mediums. And I don't feel like the story of The Last of Us should be told in the medium of video game or at least not that type of video game. Like it shouldn't have been a first person shooter. Um, Let it have been a point and click adventure where you were really, or even like where the gameplay was more about um, like walking around and discovery more so than shooty shooty bang bang. Because like if you're trying to make me feel bad because I play a section of the game and I'm introduced to a dog and it's a good dog and then I play with another character and I have to kill that dog. Okay, that could be impactful, but I've already killed, like, 511 dogs, and those dogs are annoying, so I don't feel bad killing that dog that I found out was good, kind of. You know, like,
2: you know what it is, and I'm, well, let me, um, let me put the proper spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. To skip to the end of the spoiler, please fast forward to 50 minutes and 11 seconds. Please fast forward to 50 minutes and 11 seconds. If you do not want to hear aggressive spoilers regarding The Last of Us 2, that's 50 minutes and 11 seconds. Thank you. Okay. Um... The biggest problem with the story is that you play as Ellie at all. If you played as Abby, who mission was to kill a dude that she hates for doing something genuinely terrible, it would make sense that she's killing lots of things because she needs to kill things. She needs to kill a dude. Like your mission of murder can't just be you killing one person. It literally would require some practice, which is kind of what her character was about was getting ready to either defend, defend her people and kill Joel. So, you should have been playing as Abby from the beginning. If it was going to be a game where you kill a bunch of people because she was getting ready to kill one, the worst person she's ever known and defend her town as the, as the, as the official defender gate defender of her town.
1: Yeah. And I also feel like, um, did people finish the last of us part one? Um, Because everybody is like, really like, Oh my God, not my precious Joel. Like Joel was the worst. Um, he took a little child, and he, he just broke her as a person. Yes, he did. Um, <laughs> like, Joel is the bad guy of The Last of Us. And you can see that his, like, shitty way of, of life and his selfishness has not just destroyed Ellie, uh, but he destroyed Abby's life and the life of everybody who was connected to those doctors who were trying to save humanity. <laughs> But, and I'm not saying that the fireflies were like on the up and up because they didn't give Ellie a choice. They didn't like clue her in. But as we find out in The Last of Us Part Two, that that would have given Ellie a sense of purpose in her life, which she was robbed of. Joel did a big bad. He he was the baddie. I, <laughs> I that was the point. I, he lost his humanity.
2: I find, um, that what happens a lot is, uh, when, when, the, when you play as a dude, you know how you're playing and it, the point of a game is effa- is effectively the power fantasy, the transfer of a power fantasy. Um, I think when your character is problematic, I don't think a lot of f- dual dudes, they disconnect, they can't disconnect the power fantasy. From the character, so because what they're doing is their fantasy, they're putting. The, obviously, if they're controlling the character, then what the character must be doing must be justified, so as to maintain the heroic power fantasy that they're engaged in. Um, it, the, it's hard to detach yourself when you are taught as a dude to put yourself into the shoes of whoever you're playing as and whatever you're doing. Um, I find the same problem with Kratos. Um, a lot of dudes talk about Kratos like he's great, even though the last God of War game, he is fully aware that he's terrible and trying to do the best he can while still being terrible because he is in fact terrible.
1: <laughs> Kratos is basically like the like the threw it I threw it on the ground guy, but like with double blades. Like he's 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 he's, he's, a,
2: he's objectively a, he's objectively a terrible person who begat the end of the world in God of War one through three or zero through three. And he understands this and is trying to do good, but he's never been a good guy. And that's, he's trying to do the best he can from the position of being essentially like Cobra commander, you know, (laughs) like he's a terrible person and he's going to try to do the best he can with his limited resources of being able to be good. But a lot of people consider him to be a good guy because he can control him. And as a result, he must be a good guy with some redeeming qualities because he's a good guy. And I wouldn't be controlling a guy who is me, who doesn't have redeeming, a redeeming quality of some kind somewhere this happens with joel this is because everyone controlled joel through a very rather immersive meaningful adventure in the lives of a lot of people who play video games clearly he could have done nothing wrong what he's doing had to be justified it had to be even though it wasn't and he fucked up he did an objectively terrible thing even if you get the decision a lot of when i have this argument with people online they always say well i understand what he did yes and, you, and it's like, well, I would have done the same thing. Then you would have been a monster. And I'm not yeah. going to think about it is you can make a decision. You can understand the decision and still be a monster for it. There are plenty yeah. of choices. If I had to make them, I would make them and be a ghoul to a huge section of people. I own it. It doesn't make me right. Like, I
1: remember, um, Have you ever played Fable 2?
2: Um, v- vaguely remember it.
1: Okay. Spoilers for Fable 2, a uh, 15-year-old game. But they, uh, in the end of it, you get a choice to um, resurrect your dog, who's been a totally good boy, and like best doggo, or resurrect like thousands of people who died building this like evil tower thing, and like they give you the choice, and I instantly like before the character is even finishing the sentence saying, you could resurrect your dog or these people I was like dog <laughs> and, like that was the bad choice but I was like I don't know those people and also uh, you know they've been dead for like a, several like they, they've passed. they passed it was tragic that they died like that but like what's gonna happen when you resurrect those people who have been dead for several decades they're not going back to anything good everybody has moved on I recently lost my dog who I actually care about. Do I think this is morally right? No, but it's the honest decision I would make. And that makes me in that instance, a bad person. But like, at least I can be honest about
2: it. Right. That's the key. It's a monstrous decision, but you own it. And owning it is really the point. That's, that's the, that's the point. Is I remember
1: deep. I was actually mad because that was the quote unquote bad choice like another character like admonishes you for it and I was just like fuck off I don't care like I got my dog woot right. <laughs> I know those people oh. like sure it is really sad that they died building an evil spire Um, and there was some slavery but like how many of those people were pedophiles statistically at least four <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> right but you you're not you're not out here trying to argue that you made the correct decision and that's the thing that's the big deal so
1: yeah you can't um want to have um deep or uh messy uh complicated storytelling um when the mechanics of the game is point gun shoot win yes
2: and if you and if you do have, and it's one of the things, if you are going to do that, then you have to write the characters for it. If you're trying to tell a deep, meaningful story, um, uh, and you know, what was a, you know, it was a sneaky good story for this reason. Um, Max Payne Three. Have you ever played Max Payne Three?
1: I didn't because um, when I beat Max Payne Two uh, in my dorm room. Um, <laughs> I just started crying like really hard. Like my roommates came home and thought somebody I knew died, <laughs> but I was very upset <laughs> in a way that I've never really gotten. I like, I, like, I know it was cause it was a sad ending, but I I know it like wasn't really about Max Payne two. It was probably cause I was going through a breakup, but like I was able to mourn through the end of Max Payne two, but I've avoided all things Max Payne because of my embarrassment of weeping like a child at the end of Max Payne Two.
2: Um, well, one, um, Max Payne Three owns that. Um, Max Payne Three is about Max Payne, the story of a guy who is hopped up on painkillers because of the painkillers you take as meds in Max Payne One and Two, so he's addicted to painkillers, and. His run of wanton violence literally forces him to being a security guard in Brazil. And he kills so many people that even the people who are his handlers are like, we can't do anything. There's a really great scene where he's trying to get on a plane. They're trying to get him on a plane out of Brazil. But he kills so many people that the handler is like, fuck this. You're on your own. (laughs) And it's just like, Yes, they're writing the story for the fact that this dude, this gringo, hit Brazil and killed 500 people. <laughs> he's drunk the whole time, high on painkillers, killing everyone, and eventually no one can help him because he's killed so many people. So they wrote this narrative where like, the dramatic beats are, you have killed too many people, you drug-addicted gringo. <laughs> we cannot help you I'm sorry you're on your own and he aggressively, progressively kills I'm more so people
1: I didn't play this game right
2: and you see progressively kills more people but there's no one around him because everyone who offered to help him is like dude, you gotta stop killing all these people and he's like nah I can't he's throwing the beer bottle and people and every time somebody walks up to him they like pull a gun on him and then he pulls a gun on them and he kills them and the homies come out and then he winds up getting in all these gun battles and it's like that's how you write a story around the mechanics and the character of your game. If you're willing to do that, you know what I mean? The action progressed, but they were very aware of it. They were not making him out to be a hero. Everyone, at some point, the entire, the entire country wanted him out because he kept killing people. Eventually, even the good people, everyone, eventually it became a blob of people who wanted your white
1: ass out of Brazil. Right? (laughs) Right. when you've killed so many people that like Brazil has right, they're like what the fuck are you doing? Like, at first, there was like
2: you know, there was like mild assistance from mildly corrupt, ambiguous security forces, and they're like, dude, we can't help you. And then, like, and then eventually, the crime people were just like, we need you to leave, <laughs> yeah. like, we're trying yeah. to kill There's you. So game we did leave. That did that
1: pretty well. You, you were like, you play as like two guys, one has like a gross ponytail, and like they're like mercenaries you're talking about
2: kane and lynch
1: yes (laughs) kane and lynch one has a gross ponytail but like kane and lynch too it's kind of like they're all like it's just misery
0: porn because their lives
1: have not gone well
0: yes Yes. (laughs) like
1: nobody respects them uh their families are torn apart are terrified of them as you would be if you know your dad is just super good at killing dudes. Right.
2: Yes. They yeah. they they are initially, I remember that game because people don't like that game, but I always say the game is super short. It's super weird. The mechanics are broken. It's not a great game. But the game is written entirely around the fact that you kill so many people that it's ruining your lives and the lives of everyone around you thank you as
1: all that murder would
2: right it, yes you should not be able to f- shoot gun shoot your way through fucking shanghai from beginning to end for three hours from like the from like 6 p.m to like 8 a.m the next morning without ruining so many people's lives <laughs> you shouldn't be able to and they're terrible dudes they're like we need to leave but they can't stop killing people they don't have family one dude's got a girlfriend he gets her killed it's all terrible because again, keep running around shooting people, and that's the thing: is if you're going to tell a story, have sometimes if you want to do that, those stories are more meaningful than anything. Anyone trying to do some uh, trying to do some high end nonsense, because at the end of the day, it's a video game, and what you do in a video game is so inherently destructive that it sometimes helps. It just, it just helps to tell yeah. the story. Like it's ruined. What you're doing here isn't great. It just isn't. It doesn't matter how much how much we were raised that it's great to pull a gun and shoot the bad guys, pulling guns on people and shooting them wantonly. It doesn't matter. It's pretty fucking bad. Yeah, no matter
1: how you slice it, Um, we really got off. (laughs) No,
2: don't worry, don't worry. I
1: love that the show is going to be wet ass pussy and spoilers for the last of us.
2: Here's here's the deal. (laughs) It, It is all it is all relative um it's a it's a good hard look at what the hell people are freaking out about and it's important that i mean if we're gonna if we have to wrap it all up you have to think about where you are putting your frustration that you are powerless in this instance as we are kind of sitting at home except for the people that just go outside like it's cool vast majority of us are sitting at home kind of waiting for a vaccine waiting for everything to pass Doing this thing. There's a heat wave everywhere. I'm in Texas. We got two ter- hurricanes flying into each other. Whatever. <laughs> We're all kind of sitting at home, really feeling our mortality. Um, that you have to still give critical thought to what you spend your energy critiquing and why. Don't punch down to get a reaction out of a thing. Don't don't punch something you can bruise because you can bruise it. It's not a good Use of your energy and it diminishes uh, people around you for it actually makes diminishes you too. But that's the moral of the show. So we didn't just go from wet ass pussy. to The last of us two for no reason. Yes, we did it.
1: We did have a detour where I uh, obliterated. Hey, there, Delilah. Which I just found out that there is apparently a remix of Hey There Delilah about Delilah's wet ass pissy, which is still kind of gross knowing where that song comes from.
0: Oh, there you go.
1: (laughs) And now Hey There Delilah" stuck in my head, god damn it. (laughs) I'm terribly sorry. It's my fault. I, I I brought this pain upon myself.
2: It's fine. Um...
1: Like instead of starting um, petitions to get a movie you have not seen off Netflix, how about we have a petition to make the plain white tees apologize for "Hey There, Delilah"? Somebody start that one. <laughs> I will sign and promote it. <laughs> I want them to go on a national, not national, worldwide apology tour. And don't bother that woman, like, ever again. Like, she doesn't have to be a part of it. You have to individually apologize to everybody who heard your stupid song.
2: <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're, we're going to have to send everybody yeah, home. I
1: think- I'm getting mad about it all over again. So on that note, thank you for listening. And I will see you next Tuesday.
0: Enjoy what you heard. Become a Patreon subscriber at patreon.com slash unfridays and follow the network at twitter.com slash unfridays. You know what makes racists really mad? Black people having a good time. And we really have a good time making these podcasts. So, if you donate, then it's technically the same thing as funding the unhappiness of racists everywhere. Awesome, right? You know what to do.